I, I, I hope your Mother's Day was better than that. <laughs> I, I, re- I really do. Um, we, we laugh, but um, I, I'm excited, and, and I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to take a moment um, out of kind of all the craziness and all the business and all the things that we're doing and just to stop and just really think about moms and stuff because um, th- that is a special person. There is no more difficult job, underpaid job, in, on this planet than being a mother. And, stuff. and there's a strength with a mother and a mother's heart that I, I don't think is matched by anything. In fact, um, the famous preacher, uh, Billy Sunday, said this. He says, I don't believe there are devils enough in hell to pull a boy out of the arms of a godly mother. Uh, moms, you are the most important person in, in, a, in the development of your child. I, I just want you to know that, that you speak into them um, truth and you speak into them um, faith and religion and all that into them. And, and it is so important. And I think we actually can learn a lot from a mother's heart because I, I think we learn a lot about grace. Because I don't think anyone has a better idea what grace is than a mom, especially mine. So, I mean, there, there's just so much that goes on in, in a mother's heart and a mother's life and everything. And so that's really what I want to talk about tonight. I think as we look at a mother's heart and we look through some people that we don't normally look at in the Bible tonight, um, that we're going to see this idea of how we live a life of grace. And the best, the best place it is, um, is in a mother's heart. And it's one of the clearest pictures I think there is of. Now, before we even get started, there's one thing that ties us all together here. No, no matter what, no matter like how much money you make or where you were born or anything, there's one thing that ties us together. And if this is not true, then you don't have to stay and you don't have to listen to me. But everyone here has had a mother or has a mother. Correct? Anybody know? Because if you say no, we need to talk because you and I are going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so, because that's just, uh, that's every single one of us has had a mother and has a mother and goes through. But even in the moms, there's a common thread that kind of runs through all mothers. Um, it's this idea and this thing of great joy and deep pain. Mothers experience both of those. Um, just when labor ends doesn't mean labor's over. Um, you, you go through life and you go through the child's life and, and you experience great moments of just excitement and joy and everything. And at the same time, you feel these deep, deep pains for your kid. And, and the truth is, is you can't survive those. You can't even experience those or live those out at all without knowing about grace. I mean, I, I don't think we can we can experience true joy and, and, and the excitement of all that without having grace. And we can't make it through pain without having grace. Think about famous moms just for a moment. I mean, just, just biblical moms, if, if we go back and we think of the first mom, Eve, the, the very first mom immediately knew the joy of what it meant to have a child, to hold a baby and see it, but she also knew what it meant to bury a child. Uh, and think about Mary. You know, she, she had the excitement and the privilege of burying the Savior of the world, but it was also his, her son, and, and saw him do amazing things, but at the same time saw him die a horrible death on a cross. And so this this running thing of great joy and deep pain runs through us all. And and I think we can get a better understanding of how to live a life of grace as we look at a mother's heart. And so it doesn't matter if you're a guy, if you're single, if you're a mom or you're not a mom, a future mom or never to be mom. Um, tonight is about grace and lessons that we learn from a mother's heart. So let's pray and we're going to dive in. Father God, I just thank you so much um, for the opportunity just to open your word. God, what you have to say is so much more important than what I have to say. 
God, I, I, we can't even begin to understand your love for us and the grace that you have for us. But God, you have given us pictures of it through our moms. And so God, I just pray tonight that you would just speak. Um, God, that you would hide me and that it would be your words um, that would be spoken, God, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. And tonight, once again, God, we would experience your love and your grace, and it would change us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, like I said, we're going to talk about a few different moms that probably um, we don't often talk about. And stuff, they're not all that famous and everything, and some of them we don't even think of really when we think about mom. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles. Please take one, um, put your name in it. We've got plenty and stuff, but um, pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, pull out your Bible, whatever. But go to Exodus chapter 2. I want to talk about this lady, Jochebed and stuff. Not a great name and stuff. Not like a, like you don't hear this name anymore around here anymore and some of us may not even know who who this actually is but in exodus chapter 2 starting in verse 1 we find about her it says now a man from the family of levi married a levite woman the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son and when she saw that he was beautiful she hid him for three months but when she could no longer hide him she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch she placed a child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the nile then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. Seeing the basket among the reeds, she sent her slave girl to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, a little boy, crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a woman from the Hebrews to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. And, and so right off the bat, we were talking about Moses' mom. And I think it's really interesting. They don't even name her till like two chapters later. Here, here's Jochebed. And, and you probably know the story, or you've heard the story, of what was going on at the time. The, the Israelites were in captivity. They were in slavery with the Egyptians. But they were just reproducing like crazy. And they were growing and growing. And Pharaoh got a little nervous. He got a little scared. So he sent out a decree and just said, kill all the babies. Kill them all. That's how I'm going to handle the population control. Cruel, horrible, and all that stuff. I'm good, thank you. But um, here's Jochebed that has this baby boy. And looks and sees something. And I love it. It says that he says that he looks into him and sees that he was beautiful. But actually the Hebrew says that she saw kind of that... There was something special. There was something different about him. There was something that God had done when she looked into the face of her baby. And, and I mean, isn't that the truth? Isn't the moms that look in us and see the things that we don't ever see and most people don't ever see? And, and so there's Jochebed. And so she, at great risk to her family, and everyone says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hide this baby. And after a while, she can't. So she puts it in the reed and puts it in the Nile. And everything puts in the basket. And we know all the story. And Pharaoh's daughter finds her and everything. And so you, you see this idea that Jochebed here, out of love for her son, has to let him go. And you know it's got to be her faith that, that plays into that. You, you know it's got to be like, okay, I'm just, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is the best chance for him. 
And so I'm going to put him in this reed, and I'm going to just put him in there. And I love that the sister kind of walks along. And so she not only lets him go, but then she gets him back because his sister kind of falls along. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and all of a sudden, like, hey, I know a Hebrew lady that can help you. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? <laughs> and so it's like this. She lets go, but she gets back. But then again, look at verse um, verse 10. When the child grew old, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses. So, so it's this whole idea of this letting go. And, and I got to wonder if Jacobet ever just sat there and says, God, you know, I, I've trusted you. You know, I'm part, you know, I know you and everything. What is going on? I, I hit him. I got him back. Now I got to give him up again. I know what is going on. And, and, and the truth is, is something we need to understand right off the bat is that God's ways are not our ways. And God's plans are not our plans. They are higher, better, stronger everything more than what we can ever imagine and, and in her heart somewhere Jacobet had to understand and say listen I'm going to trust God and, and see what it does in, in fact in Proverbs Solomon if you have your Bibles pop, pop over to Proverbs real quick and we're going to be bouncing around a lot tonight um, but Proverbs chapter 3 Solomon writes in verse 5 trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right path it, it's a promise and so so the point is, is that Jacobet had to just sit here and go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let him go. And, and I'm going to trust God. And, and the only way we do that is by knowing grace. And so the, my first question for us tonight, the first thing that we have to ask ourselves, if we really truly want to understand grace and how to live a life of grace, is what do you need to let go of? What is it that we are holding on so tightly that God can't do what God needs to do. I mean, remember, remember Isaiah says, my ways are not your ways. My plans are higher. My ways are higher. All that stuff. It, we follow and serve God. If you, if you know Jesus tonight, if you know God in your relationship, we follow a God that has the big picture and knows it all. And knows what's coming down the pike. And knows what's going to be needed. And knows what needs to happen. And is situating everything. And is, he is in total control of everything. So what do you and I need to let go of? And say, God, I'm, I'm going to trust your plan. Maybe, maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a child. But I just believe tonight that God is telling some of us that there's some stuff that we need to kind of let go of if we truly want to understand what living a life of grace is and experience grace. And so that's the first one. The, the second mom I want to talk about is the widow at Zarephath. And so, and if you don't know a little bit of history, you can turn your Bibles over to First Kings. Um, what's going on here is the entire the Israel nation had been split. You know, you have the southern tribes, the southern Judah, and you have the northern tribes of Israel. Not a great time for any of them. Judah had some good kings. The northern tribes of Israel, not one. In fact, every king mentioned. In the northern tribes, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, not one good one. But God raised up prophets. And so, and here's exactly what's going on here. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings um, 17. And we hear about the prophet Elijah, excuse me. And, and God's speaking to him. He says, get up and go to Zarephath, that belongs to Sinai, and stay there. Verse 9. 
Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. And when he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. And she went to get it, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Here's what's going on. There's a massive famine happening and a drought. And and here's this woman, and all she cares about is just her and her son. She's a widow. And uh, this time, if you didn't have family members and you were a widow during this time, you were dead. You, you, You were on your own. And so here's, here, here's, here's um, Elijah saying, you know, give me a drink. And she's like, okay, whatever, here's a drink. Okay, and make me a little cake. And she's like, listen, all I have left is this handful of flour and a little bit of oil. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. And, and you want that. Just the audacity and the craziness of that. And then I love verse 13. It says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you've been, you have said, but first make me a small loaf of from it and bring it out to me afterward you may make some for yourself and your son for this is what the lord god of israel says the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day of the lord day the lord sends rain on the surface of the land so she proceeded to do according to the word of elijah then the woman then the woman elijah and her household ate for many days the flour jar did not become empty the oil jug did not run dry according to the word the lord god had spoken to elijah I mean, you get this beautiful picture of this woman that says, all I want to do is take care of my son. But if God says it, I'm going to obey. And in fact, it was obedience even if she wasn't sure because she's saying this question. It's like, this is all I have left. But I'll do it. And, and every day she kept doing it. And every day she kept going on. In fact, if you go down to the bottom of the chapter a little bit, just verse 17, it says, after this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And his illness became very severe until, I think, until no breath remained in him. In verse 18, she said to Elijah, man of God, what do we have in common? Have you come to remind me of my guilt and to kill my son? God, I've done all this. Elijah, I've done what you've asked me to do. Now my son's dead and you still, you just keep coming for more. And the story ends up that Elijah goes in and he performs a miracle and he raises a kid. But I love the very last verse of this chapter. Verse 24, it says, then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. See, the entire time the jar wasn't empty, the entire time that jar kept kept staying full and they kept making bread, she was still like, I'm not sure this is going to work out. And the honest truth is that God is going to ask us to do some things that we're going to look at and say, I'm not sure this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to plan out. And, and doubts arise. And, and shame on anybody that looks at you and said, because you're a doubt, you just you have fallen from God and you, you don't have anything to do with him. Because doubt is a natural part of being in a fallen world. And the coolest thing about God is that he meets us right there. He, he doesn't scream and yell at us. He doesn't condemn us. He understands our doubt. It's, uh, the question is, are we going to continue to trust and say, God, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust and believe in your promises because they're true. God has never broken a promise. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians 4.
Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory in Christ, in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what this doesn't say is he's going to give you everything you want. And, and we get confused with that sometimes. We get mad at God because we don't get what we want. We didn't get the boat or the car or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the job or or the house, or in that we didn't get what we wanted, but God promises that he's going to supply our needs. And all we're called to do is to trust him. All, all we're called to do is saying, even if it doesn't always make sense, even if I'm not sure of how it's going to work out, that I'm, I'm going to trust. And so my second question for us tonight is, where do you need to trust? First one is, what do I need to let go of? But where do you need to trust? Again, is, is it with my career? Is it with my relationships? Is, is it with my job? Is it with my bank account? Is it with my kids, with my family? Where, where do I need to trust? Even when it doesn't look very clear, even when it seems that everything's gone wrong, where, where do I need to trust? And, and how's that flesh out? Because if you want to understand grace, there comes a moment where you just have to trust it. I mean, you, you, can, you can have all the questions, all the doubts, all the concerns, all the arguments that you ever want to know about trusting God. There comes a moment where you just have to step out in faith and say, I'm just going to trust. It, it's my last bit of meal and it's my last bit of oil. But God, you said make a, make a cupcake. I'm going to make a cupcake. And I'm going to believe tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be able to make another cupcake. And the next day. And the next day, and even when the day comes where I can't make it, I'm going to trust that you still have that plan. You see, if you don't believe in a sovereign God, if you don't believe in a God that is trustworthy, then you are the most pitied of all people on this planet. Because nothing on this planet do we control. And so, so I'm asking again, what do you have to let go of? What's, what's that thing, that pride or that issue or that thing you're holding on to that's keeping you from God? And where do you need to trust Is it the bank account? Is it, is it, is it, I'm going to go for this new job or I feel like God's called me and I'm just going to step out. Where do you need to trust? Because if you want to experience grace, you've got to deal with those two things. And if we see in a mother's heart that all she did was like, I want to take care of my son. But in the end, I'm going to trust that God has a better plan. See, because here's the truth, moms. I just want you to know that you love your kids, but God loves them more. Every one of you, no matter what you love the most, it fails to compare to how much God loves us and wants for us. And so where, where do you need to trust? The last mom I, I want to look at that we probably really don't even think about as a mom is Bathsheba. We, we think about her in the other way, that she's the bad girl and, and, and everything. But um, this is a, it's a beautiful picture of what God does. And we're not going to read all this, but we're going to jump over Second Samuel chapter 11. And if you want to read just an amazing story, um, read Samuel 11 and 12 of just how God kind of comes in and everything and stuff. And most of you guys know the story. We know, like, the whole bad girl thing. You know, here's David. He's king. And, and he sends his army out, and the king shouldn't really ever stay home. <laughs> guys, just understand that. Don't, don't ever put yourself in a position where trouble can happen and trouble won't happen. But that's what David did. He sent his army out. He's on there. And, and he looks over across. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But Bathsheba's on the rooftop taking a bath. 
And maybe that was just when the water got hot. I, I don't know. And everything. I know Bathsheba gets a bad rap, but just a little segue. Girls that aren't married yet, I just want you to know something. Just what's not seen is more intriguing and the sexiest thing in the world than what is ever seen. And, and girls that just kind of flaunt everything and, and do this, I know you never deserve for a man to treat you poorly, ever. But we're idiots. Guys are dogs. So just modesty speaks more beauty than anything else. And so I, I don't know why Bathsheba was it, but she did. And David saw her. And so it starts in verse 3. So David sent someone to inquire about her. And they reported this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Uriah was one of, one of David's commanders. He was, he was a guy in his army. And so David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now, she had just been purifying herself from uncleanness, and afterwards she returned home. Again, Bathsheba gets a bad rap, but back then, ladies, I'm sorry, you were more property than you were person. And, and if the king said, you, me, that's it, then it was you, me, and that's it. it. It wasn't really a choice. But she conceived, she had a baby, and she sent word to David, I'm pregnant. And just to kind of keep filling in the story, so David finds out, and he's like, well, we've got to take care of this, so I'll just send Uriah home from the front. He'll hang out with his wife, and then nobody will be any wiser. But the problem is, is Uriah was a really good man. Uriah, Mariah, Uriah came home and said, I'm not going to sleep with my wife when all my soldiers are out sleeping in mud and in a battlefield, so I'm just going to sleep on the porch. <laughs> and so David had to come up with another plan, so he just said, all right, I'm going to have him killed. I'm going to have the army kind of pull up and attack and then pull off and leave him unprotected. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah gets killed. He, he dies. Um, and, and they think that everything's done. If you go down to the bottom of verse chapter 11, verse 26, it says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah died, she mourned for him. And when the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. By the way, I there's nothing we hide from God. Your, your deepest, darkest secrets, your deepest, darkest things that you've done, God already knows about. And the really amazing thing is he loves us anyway. He, he loves us anyway. So if you, if you jump over, the story continues over in 12, where all of a sudden Nathan, the prophet, comes up and tells David the story about, like, some guy that stole someone's sheep and then lied about it. And David's like, oh, how horrible and horrendous and have that man killed. And he's like, David, that's you. You did that to your eyes. Why? You, you stole her. And now God's judgment is going to come. And, and, and it does. But what we see in this entire story is this living a story of redemption. Because here's what happens. God's judgment does come. And that baby that they made died. And David mourned. And, and there's heartache. And, and there's sin. And, and I love that David comes back and he says, you know what? I've sinned. He confesses. Verse 13 in chapter 12 is a beautiful verse. David responds to Nathan. I've sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. You know the difference between David and Saul? The other king is David confessed. And, and I'm reminded of the verse that says, God is faithful to forgive those who confess. God is faithful and just and loves us enough where we come to. That doesn't mean we don't face consequences. Listen, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean your life is all rosy and flowers and unicorns. Okay? 
you still have consequences. There's still things for the choices we make. We still deal with those consequences. But and so the baby dies and, and they mourn. But then all of a sudden God comes in and he takes something that's been ugly and just trashed and tarnished. And in verse 27, it says, after the baby dies. And the morning was done. Verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went in and slept with her. And she gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. You, you get this beautiful picture of a story of redemption in Bathsheba. That no matter the mistakes were made and the consequences were felt and yet God still was big enough and loving enough and gracious enough to come in and redeem the story and all of a sudden they have a son that becomes if not the not one of the greatest the greatest king that Israel's ever seen the wisest man that ever walked this planet was Solomon and, and so in our lives there is messes and there are things that we've done that we have to deal with and mistakes we've made. There's no perfect parent in here. Kids, just let me None of you came out with like a little book that said, this is how you do it. Listen, it is by the grace of God that my kids are still breathing on some of the things that we've done. But it is that grace that drives us. It is that grace that we know. And in that, when that grace, things get redeemed. You know, I talk about it all the time. I'm going to tell you, listen to the podcast, but one of my daughters, when she was a pastor's kid to the ultimate idea of a pastor's kid. Like she, like I hate being a pastor's kid. I'm like, but you live out the stereotype so well. I mean, she just, everything, and she just, you know, she traveled as far away. And there came a time where we just had to say, God, we're going to let go. We're going to trust you. And we're going to believe in your grace. And in that, God redeems I mean, she's, my kids aren't perfect, but man, my, my kids love Jesus. See, God God always redeems. It's it's a promise. It's that promise in Romans eight twenty eight. And and you guys, you don't you don't have to turn there, but you've you've probably heard this over and over again. But the, the, uh, Paul writes, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything's going to be good. It doesn't say everything that's going to be work out just fine. It doesn't say there's not going to be consequences for the mistakes you made. Because there are. Sin has consequences. It always does. Every, every time you make a choice, there are good or bad consequences that are going to happen. And all we can do as parents is hopefully pour that into our kids and help them understand that there are consequences that are going to happen, either good or positive. But the best thing about it is that it's those that know Jesus, those that are in love, that love God and are following Jesus, that God takes all the good and all the bad and mixes it all together and makes a masterpiece that is beautiful. And it all works together for the good because my God is sovereign. My mistakes, God is not up in heaven going, oh, he blew it. Now what are we going to (laughs) do? He works through it all, and and it's a promise that God is a a God that is a redeeming God. Every choice I make, God redeems, good and bad. And that's living grace. That's understanding. That doesn't mean just go out and live any way you want to. It doesn't mean I can just do whatever and God's just going to take care of it later because, no, again, sin has consequences. But but God is a redeeming God. And, and so my last question tonight is, what, what needs to be redeemed in you? 
What do you need to let go? Where do you need to trust? And what still needs to be redeemed? And are you willing to let God do that work? Are, are you willing to let God just move in and just say, I've got the best plan? You see, all, all these lessons in grace, it, it comes down to this whole idea is down that every mother and every father and every one of us, we all want to be enough. We want to be enough for our kids. We, we want to, you know, moms, moms want to take care of every boo-boo, every bully, every bad day. Moms want to take that and we, and we want to be enough. And dads are the same way. And all of us, we want to be enough for somebody. We all want to be that person that's like, I am the answer to all of your issues. I thought that was the thing when I asked my wife to marry me. I says, I am the answer to all your problems. I just gave her a whole bunch of new ones. <laughs> See, we all want to be enough. But the tr- truth that we have to understand tonight is that only, only Christ is enough. Moms, you'll never be enough for your kids. Dads. Husbands, kids, you'll never be enough for your parents. Only Christ is enough. Second Corinthians twelve nine. Paul's praying about God, there's there's this thorn and this this thing that Paul's dealing with. And he's like, God, will you take this from me? Will you fix this? Will you, will you deal with this? And this is God's reply. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast that more, all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. My grace is sufficient for you. Only Jesus is enough. We'll never be enough for our spouses, for ourselves, or anything. No matter what job we have or what bank account we have or what career or, or friends or relationships, none of that will be enough. It is only Christ. He's the only one that can fill those needs that we can never even dream about filling for anybody else. And so moms, yes, you pour into your kids, but the very best thing you can pour into them is the love of Jesus. Because let me tell you something, you can leave them an inheritance that they don't ever have to work a day in their life. You can leave them houses and you can leave them all kinds of stuff. But all of us will one day stand before Christ and he will ask, was I enough for you? You know, that, that's all what I, I love about our missions and stuff and the way we choose missions. Because I believe all, of all my heart we're supposed to help people. And you teach a person to fish, they eat for a day. Or you give a person to fish, they eat for a day. You teach a person to fish, they eat for the rest of their lives. But if you don't tell them about Jesus, they're going to go to hell anyway. And moms and dads, that you are the most important spiritual influence in your kids' lives. I, I just want you to know, pastor, I'm like eight. And the best thing that you can pour into your kids and pour into your relationships and into your marriages is Jesus. Because he will always be enough. I love Fred, Frederick Buechner is one of, one of my favorite authors. And he says, the grace of God means something like Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Listen to that. Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. God, when he made you and me, when he gave us the kids that we have, when he came to us, he said the party's not complete without you. 
My family is not complete without you. That's grace. Some of us are invited to a party that we didn't even know was ever happening. And it will be the greatest party to last all eternity. And God says, the party's not complete without you. That, that's grace, and that's living grace. And so, and so tonight, we ask these questions. As, as we look at a mother's heart, as we celebrate moms, and we're so appreciative of moms, strongest people on this planet. But we ask those questions, what do you got to let go of? And what are you holding on to that you think is so important that God's not bigger than? Where do you need to trust? Where do you need to say, God, I'm just I'm going to step in this and, and I'm just I'm just going to believe you. And what needs to be redeemed? Because I promise you tonight that in all those situations, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And, and, and maybe maybe tonight that's that's the start. Maybe tonight you have done this, you've gone to church, you've played this game, and, and you've done this, but you've never kind of stepped out and said, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you, and, and I'm going to start there. Because, listen, you can't understand grace if you don't know Jesus because you haven't experienced real grace. <laughs> I'm so excited. We're Starting next week, we're preaching through the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And my favorite part is the Beatitudes. And I love my favorite verse in the Beatitudes is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, we don't know without Jesus. We don't know how much we've lost. And so we need to mourn. And when we mourn and when we say, God, I've tried to be enough for me. I've trusted only in myself. I've, I've, I'm holding on to my life and my pride and everything because I don't want anybody to know that I need you. And when we let go of that, he meets us there and he comforts us and grace just takes over. I mean, that, that's, why, that's why I wanted to name this church Grace Baptist because grace means so much to me because I know what, <laughs> what it's cost, my Savior. And so maybe that's where you need to start tonight. Maybe you just need to admit, God, I've done things my way and that's called sin. But I know Jesus died for me. I know you sent your son. And I Forgive me. Come into my life. Let me experience and know your grace. And maybe that's where you are. And, and maybe tonight you are one of these people that just like, man, I've been doing this. I've gone to church. And, you know, I've, you know, I've heard these sermons a thousand times. I know them all. And that, here comes the joke. Point three joke. I, I know it all. But maybe you need to say, God, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not trusting you. Because maybe God is calling you to step out into some place that's a little bit scary and a little uncomfortable. Maybe God's calling you to step out and say, hey, I'm going to help lead a men's ministry because we need it. We have so many ministries that we want to do. And we're so small right now that we need every individual to do something different. <laughs> so that not three people are doing it all. You know, m maybe it's like, uh, you know, I just I feel like I need to you know, just trust God with with my tithes and offerings. I just have never done that. And we believe that's worship. Listen, I don't ever guilt anybody into giving. If if you feel like I don't want to give because I have to give, please don't give because my God will supply all our needs. Without your bank account. I, I want you to give because it is an act of faith and it's a trust and stuff. And maybe that is is just saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Or maybe God's calling you to go crazy 
and go to Africa or go to China or go to some Middle Eastern country where they kill Christians and proclaim Christ. I don't know what that is, but maybe God is saying, you need to step out and trust me. And I almost guarantee that all of us have places in our life that we need Jesus to redeem. And, and so tonight, as, as we celebrate moms, as we understand and we take these lessons of grace, may we live them. May we experience grace every single day. And may it become so overwhelming to us that we can't help but share that with someone else. Because I can tell you, without a shadow of doubt, as I walk these neighborhoods, as I sit in this building and I pray and week after week. And by the way, I just want to thank all of you that made it possible for us to get away last week. That was such a gift for us just to get away and for me to think through all the grace that God has given me. And being overwhelmed by that grace. And so thank you for those that did Bible studies and helped out and did all that stuff and made it possible for us. That was a huge gift. But I can tell you the greatest need in this whole area, in this, in this world, is grace. And nobody will experience it unless they know Jesus. Not for real. And so wherever you're at tonight, that's, we want to give you an opportunity for that. We, we just want you to respond, however God is leading you to respond. And so uh, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Tim to come up, and he's just going to play some music. And for the next few moments, it's just going to be kind of quiet, and we're going to let God speak because he's smarter and better speaker than I could ever imagine being. And we're going to let him speak to your heart. And, and I challenge you, maybe, maybe tonight you just want to get up and say, you know, there are areas that I just need to confess and I need to pray. And I just want to encourage you, man, you can go in that prayer closet and you can write them down. I love going in there and I pray over all the little stickies. And there's no names on them. You have to put a name in it. It's, it's kind of like a little confessional, but well, I just believe the only one we confess to is God. And so he's the only other person in there. <laughs> and so maybe you need to go in there and just pray and, like, and write something down. Like, I confess this. I need to let go of this. And know that I'll go in there this week and I'll pray. For whatever you write down. Maybe you need to be reminded of God's grace and his love and the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and you want to go over and take communion. And remember the blood and the body that was broken for us. Maybe God's saying, I need you to trust me with your bank account and with your finances and everything. And I'm going to ask you to start giving and supporting this church and stuff. And if that's what God's leading you to, then we have our offering box. And you can do that. That's part of our worship. And maybe you just need to sit there and let God just speak and resonate in your heart. And maybe you just need to turn to Jesus and say, I trust you now. Well, whatever that is, th this is your time for God just to move, God just to speak, and for us to experience the grace that moms you already know and give out every single day, because I know your kids. <laughs> I even know your kid, so I really know the grace you give out. But just experience and let that grace just flood over you and see what God does. I'm going to pray, and then you respond. Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you again 